Welcome inside the Fantasy Stock Exchange. Danny and Bush coming at you with another Hot Commodities episode. Uh, we're continuing our series that we started uh, last Thursday. So this time we are up with the AFC West. If you missed the AFC North, which was last Thursday's, go check that out. If you missed the AFC South, which was uh, Tuesday's episode, go check that out as well. So we're uh, starting with uh, sleepers, uh, values, busts, league winners, and bounce back players in our uh, division superlatives for each division. We picked one player from whatever team in that division. So Danny, how are you doing today? Doing well, doing well. Yeah, we're ready to attack this AFC West. Obviously, uh, a lot of people know this is a very uh, wealthy division, especially from one team in particular in terms of fantasy assets. I mean, we know what the Chiefs got, number one quarterback, top three wide receiver, number one tight end. But uh, well, let's dive into the overall, uh, again, as you mentioned, the bus, the sleepers, all those types of candidates in this division. But yeah, anything else you want to add or uh, let's get into this? No, I think we're good to go. Why don't you kick right. us off with uh, uh, your first sleeper? Yeah, before I do that, though, let's hit the intro. Okay, so first sleeper I am going to be getting into, and I've kind of mentioned this guy's name a bunch on this channel. I mean, you guys have been paying attention, but my main sleeper is going to be Nicole Hardman, wide receiver from the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, we already know the weapons there. We know that they just drafted Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who's actually going off in the middle of the first round now after the Damian Williams opt-out. We know Patrick Mahomes. We know Travis Kelsey. We know Tyreek Hill. Now, I'm going to get into Michael Hardman and why he could actually be a uh, sleeper type in your format. So he's currently going off the board as your wide receiver 47 and a half PPR formats. I'm just here to tell you why that's A, both a value and an upside play at that current ADP. So, I mean, we know the narrative on Michael Hardman at this point. I mean, he is an uber efficient receiver in that offense. And if you're breaking down the numbers, he was first in yards per reception across the NFL. First in yards per target, third in target separation, first in quarterback rating when targeted, and my favorite, first in fantasy points per target. Now, I broke this down uh, when we talked about it last time, but his touchdown uh, percentage per target is absolutely insane. So I mentioned only 41 targets last year, yet he had six receiving touchdowns. 14.6% of his targets went for touchdowns, and he, since he only had 26 catches, 23.1% of his catches went for touchdowns. Now, we know how efficient Tyreek Hill is, yet his conversion rate was only 11%. So that just kind of gives you like a glance at how efficient Nicole Hardman was with that low target sample. Now, people are going to say, well, how can you necessarily project a big increase in volume? And I'm here to say, I'll be honest, you can't necessarily say, oh, he is guaranteed to increase in volume next year. That's why he's a value. No, Taking a guy like McCall Hardman is kind of taking the chance on a natural progression from a second-year player now. We get it. I understand it. Projecting more than 41 may be tough, but the way I look at it is Sammy Watkins was able to get 90 targets last year. And quite frankly, if McCall Hardman is still producing at that efficient rate that he was last year, obviously not to the degree because we don't expect a receiver to repeat that year in and year out. But if he's able to produce at that efficient rate, I mean, 90 targets from the wide receiver two is more than fine, especially even though Watkins missed a couple games. Now, this is going to be hard to do because obviously you don't want to take efficiencies on 41 and project it to 90, as I mentioned before. But if you're taking Watkins targets and you were to use efficiencies from Hardman last year, 57 for 1,181 and 13 would be the stat line. 
So he's currently going off the board as a wide receiver 47. Finished as the wide receiver 56 last year on those 41 targets. Even if he gets a slight increase in targets, like he's already paying off at that value. So to me here, he's the ultimate sleeper because realistically, you're getting him basically where he should be based off last year and due to natural progression. And you're always taking the chance that he does get that increase in volume that we are looking for. And if he does, he's going to be a boom type prospect uh, in your fantasy draft. So I'm all aboard. If I can get him cheap, especially where he's going again, as I mentioned, wide receiver 47, he's going to be on a lot of my teams. Yeah. And he's definitely the type of player that you want to line your bench with just a high upside player. Like there's a chance that you cut Nicole Hardman after like three weeks, if Sammy Watkins maybe actually can stay on the field and, and produce as the third option uh, in the passing game, probably actually might even be the fourth option behind the running back now, but uh, either way in good matchups, like when they're playing like the Raiders or some shit, like you're going to be able to throw a guy like Hardman in your lineup or in your flex or whatever, and just kind of hope for a big play. And I mean, we saw it last year more often than not, he'll just catch like two catches for 67 yards and a touchdown. Yeah. And that's more than okay for your flex spot. Um, so onto my sleeper, it's actually from the Los Angeles chargers and it's kind of like a, a two for one here. Um, Tyrod Taylor and Justin Herbert is who I have as a sleeper. So like whoever the quarterback ends up being uh, on any given week. So on Tyrod's end, his three seasons in Buffalo, he never like finished lower than the QB 16. And for someone who's going uh, undrafted in fantasy drafts, he, pre- he presents solid value as at, at least as a streamer, he might be like a game manager and he might have that stigma to his name, but what really actually propels him is his ability to run and he has never had uh, less than 84 carries in each of those seasons in Buffalo that he was the starter and late round quarterbacks. Like the general rule is you just want to look for guys that have good weapons around them. And like, really like the chargers offense um, has an improved line. They added Trey to, or they traded for Trey Turner and added Brian Bulaga in free agency. It boasts elite talent at running back elite talent at receiver, and then a solid option at tight end. And then also a decent option at, at the number two receiver spot. So Tyrod could end up being, and this could be applying to Justin Herbert as well. It depends who starts the most games. They could end up finishing as like a top like 15 quarterback just because the rushing ability uh, combined with the weapons around them uh, can propel them and, and kind of elevate their play a little bit. As for like, as for Herbert, he's probably even more mobile than Tyrod. If you ask me, he had three rushing touchdowns in the Rose Bowl last year. Uh, he's definitely someone to keep an eye out for uh, midseason, um, similar to what Josh Allen and Daniel Jones and Lamar Jackson did their rookie years. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you're mentioning that, especially like, especially if you're in like a super flex type draft and you're able to get these guys to your QB three and QB four and kind of pair them up, make sure you have that QB three. They do have the ceiling, as you mentioned, to be able to support those weapons. And again, we mentioned like the weapons around them too are going to be able to supplement the season uh, for a good season. Sorry. You mentioned in Buffalo, he produced, even in the few games that he did play in uh, Cleveland, like he looked decent, obviously, like they, they turned it over to Baker Mayfield. But I mean, we've seen Tyrod Taylor, especially like play in the NFL and be a competent starting quarterback. And Justin Herbert was not taken as the sixth overall pick because he sucks. They took him there because they believe he could be their franchise quarterback. They had the weapons in place for him to ultimately succeed. So regardless of whether it's Tyrod or Herbert, if you're able to get them as like a decent little upside shot, one of them being your QB three, I'm perfectly fine because they're going cheap enough to the point where you could even stack them. So like, I really like that. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, I mean, I'm not really one to do this in best ball, but like in a best ball draft, it, it does kind of make sense to stack them. But I, I mean, that takes up two spots. So I don't know if you want to be doing that. But uh, who's your uh, bus candidate from the AFC West? This one is tough because I do believe a lot in his overall talent. 
I mean, I was the biggest fan of him coming out of SMU. I mean, we both, uh, I mean, you, you were a little lower on him, but like, I, I didn't like him at all. Actually. I, I, was, I completely whiffed on Sutton. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you were lower on him. I, I love them. But, I mean, Corlin Sutton, to me, he's currently going off the board as the wide receiver 17. He's my wide receiver 27, for kind of reference. Uh, this is a bust candidate, again, as I mentioned. This is not due to his talent. This is due to his reliance on the overall volume that he got last year and the overall changes in the offense, ultimately supplementing a change in his overall both ceiling and floor. Because, let's be honest, the volume is going to be affected. Again, we mentioned the weapons. They added Jerry Judy, who's a top three receiver in this draft, in my opinion. He, he was my wide receiver, too. They added K.J. Hamler. Albert O was a, was a top four-round pick for them. Noah, Noah Fant's going to take a step up. And in general, we really don't know how Drew Locke's going to last over the season. And if you're actually looking at the numbers from last year, I mean, he finishes the wide receiver 19, wide receiver 26 on point per game, which are both lower than his ADP. And that was when he was the sole contributor for the offense in the passing game. If you're looking at last year's volume stats, 26.1% target share, which was eighth league wide, 95.5% snap share, 10th league wide, and his dominator rating. So like his overall like production, his receiving production in terms of like what he did versus like the overall offensive landscape. So like basically his percentage of the overall team's receiving production was 35.1%, which was sixth in the league. So, I mean, that's clear. That's a clear volume play in my opinion. Yes. We expect Drew Locke to take a step up, but realistically here, he's not a lock, little pun there, uh, to really take that step up into that top 15 range, ultimately to be able to support all those weapons and giving, giving them the, the relative volume. So for me here, I mean, yes, Noah Fant was there last year. People are going to say, okay, he did it with Noah Fant last year. Noah Fant was not considered the top 15 tight end going into last year that he is now. He's a second-year athletic tight end who took him a while to get used to the NFL. And we saw down the stretch that he was able to produce. Now we expect it for a full season. As I, as I mentioned, Jerry Judy, KJ Hamler. I didn't even talk about the changes in terms of offensive coordinator getting used to a new playbook. Not to mention the addition of Melvin Gordon, who has both the ability on the goal line and in the receiving game to really supplement some production in that regard. So, I mean, overall, again, I mentioned I love the talent of Corlin Sutton. It's just his wide receiver 17 makes no sense to me because, A, the production last year didn't even equate to the wide receiver 17, and, B, just the overall change in the landscape really makes no sense because, I, I, to me, that's his ceiling. Like, you, you would be drafting him at his absolute ceiling to be drafting him where his current ADP is while his floor is just so much lower again from that decrease in volume. I don't know if it's necessarily a ceiling. I would say a ceiling is probably like top 12, like, like wide receiver 12 or something, but like it isn't much higher. Like his ceiling isn't much higher than wide receiver 17. I definitely agree there. And yeah, like we saw the splits with Locke. He was actually much better with Joe Flacco, which I mean, yeah. Joe Flacco gets ripped on a lot because he's not very good, but I mean, he, he was able to support Corlin Sutton and Drew Locke, as much as we can get excited about him, to support the amount of fantasy options that we're expecting him to support is a little unrealistic. So I wouldn't be surprised if one or two of these guys disappoint. I expect Sutton to be one of those guys and potentially Fant to be another one. I agree. I mean, you're looking at it right now. Again, that wide receiver 17, that's currently ahead of guys like Juju Smith-Schuster, DJ Chark, Terry McLaurin, Robert Woods, according to Fantasy Pros right now. Like yeah, I, would no, I would take any I of would those take guys. all those guys over him too. Easily. So, I mean, he'll supplement as a bust here. I mean, 10 spots ahead of where I currently have him ranked. I mean, who's your current bust candidate, Corey? Yeah, and this this division in general was kind of hard to find bus candidates just because yeah. it seems like the, the elite of the elite were properly valued and the guys that were late-round guys were late-round guys for a reason. So 
Hunter Henry is the guy that I have as a bus cannon. It's not that I don't like Hunter Henry, but um, I, and I was impressed with what he did once he came back from injury last season, but the quarterback change affects him and Mike Williams the most in this offense, in my opinion, people who are worried about Austin Eckler's targets and, and Keenan Allen's targets should be worried about Hunter Henry and Mike Williams targets. The hierarchy of targets in this offense are Eckler and Allen at one and then uh, Henry and Mike Williams at two. And not to mention, Allen and Eckler are the easiest to get the ball in the offense because it's a slot receiver and a running back compared to a tight end and a downfield receiver. So he has moderate upside, I would say, based on his red zone usage that we saw last year and just his target involvement in general. But the injury concerns, he missed the last, he, he's missed 20 of the last 32 games he's been able to play in, plus the lack of separation between guys like him and like late round targets with like Johnu and Hayden Hurst and Mike Gusecki and even Gronkowski and Jared Cook and guys like that. Like to me, I just don't see that much of a difference between them and Hunter Henry. So, and actually, in fact, I have Hurst and Johnu rated ahead of Hunter Henry. So I actually think I would prefer them just straight up, let alone at an ADP discount. Um, so it just makes me just not want to draft him where he's going. Cause you basically have to spend like a seventh or an eighth round pick to get him when I can get some of these guys in the 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th round. Yeah, I fully agree. Agree, Ben. Again, as you mentioned, those first two names, especially Johnu and Hurst. I mean, I literally those guys have are, like. I mean, Hurst is a little bit closer in ADP than than some of the other guys. You have to spend like an eighth or a ninth round pick to get him, but I still would take him like miles ahead of uh, of Hunter Henry. Agreed. I mean, I, I mentioned that like those are all guys kind of in the same tier. And guys, especially Hurst. Hurst is my tight end six right now. Henry's, I think, my tight end nine currently. Like, I would take him straight up. And he's going after where Hunter Henry is going. Yes. Like, again, you mentioned this is a tough division really to find a lot of bus candidates. But if there's guys that we're willing to take ahead of a guy who were ranked a few rounds later, especially like a Johnu, like that supplements as a bust. And to me here, like, yes, we know the ceiling of Hunter Henry. Like when he's on, when he's scoring touchdowns, like he does have the potential to be a really really uh good tight end option for you but again you mentioned inconsistency not to mention the injury concerns are ultimately going to be hard for him to overcome because we love Eckler he's not going to lose his targets the way people think he are he that think he is as I will mention later in the video and he's still in the hierarchy with Keenan Allen and Mike Williams from outside threats so ultimately here like it's a no-brainer as well I fully agree on that uh designation of Hunter Henry as the bus candidate yep for sure uh, so we are going to be going into what league winners now, uh, values. I'll, I'll values. start this one off. Um, right, this guy, it. I've talked about him a lot, but I'm going to continue to talk about him as a value. So he reported, uh, just it's Henry Ruggs, by the way, wide receiver for the Las Vegas Raiders. Um, he reported healthy and recovered from his, uh, off season incident that he had where he was helping one of his buddies move or something. So I did see that on Twitter. So I guess he's fine from that now. Just an update on there. Um, Ruggs is far from a, a deep threat. I know he has this stigma to him, but let's just say he's, he is a deep threat because that is his primary role. It is what he's best at. Actually, well, actually, that might not be true, but he is very good at it. So um, Joey Galloway, I've brought up this argument before, in 2005 and 2006 in Tampa Bay where John Gruden was the offensive coordinator and head coach and play caller, um, he was just a deep threat. That's all Joey Galloway was his entire career. It's all he ever became, even though he was a first-round pick and he had – super crazy speed and stuff, but he had 140 plus targets in both of those seasons as a deep threat at, at in his mid thirties in John Gruden's scheme. So if that's all rugs is going to be as a deep threat, he does still have like crazy high target potential, but Henry rugs, 48% of his route tree at Alabama was made up of slants, crossers, ins, and screens. This, that proves that he is not Deshaun Jackson. He's not uh, Joey Galloway. Like he runs routes, 
they, those guys run go routes like 60% of their plays. Like they, they don't have diverse route trees whatsoever. And Ruggs is someone who kind of like how Tyreek Hill is being used in Kansas City. And I'm sure John Gruden being in the division has noticed that. He can be given the ball on jet sweeps. You can use him in the screen game. You can run him on, on shallow crosses. Like anything to get the ball in his hands. He was a 12th overall pick and the staff, the coaching staff front office loved him. They picked him ahead of CeeDee Lamb and Jerry Judy. They are going to use him, get him the ball in whatever way they can. So Ruggs, to me, at like an 11th, 12th round ADP, especially in best ball where you don't need to choose when to start him, like he is a smash. Like I, I think I, I wouldn't be shocked if he's the best rookie receiver that there is this year. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the opportunity is going to be there for him. Like we've mentioned multiple, I'm actually going to get into another Raiders player uh, right after this for my value, but you mentioned there's such a clear path to him to enter that Tyreek role for Gruden, seeing what he's, what Tyreek's been doing in that division. Now you mentioned realistically, other than like, oh, they drafted Brian Edwards, who some people just want to hail as the wide receiver one for some reason. I love him, but come on guys, like relax. Uh, Tyrell Williams, Hunter Renfrew, like Henry Ruggs is by far their best talent at the wide receiver position. And you mentioned in a best ball, there is like no, like basically he's the perfect best ball receiver. Cause realistically he is going to have those games. As I kind of mentioned with a, a Marquise Brown last year, where like week one, he came out four for one forty six. Like he has that potential. I mean, you mentioned that week one matchup is salivating. Like it's salivating. You said you're going to own, own him basically everywhere. And quite frankly, you should, because realistically here, like, what are who the, you mentioned the matchup specifically? They're playing the Panthers. Yeah. Who's going to guard him on the Panthers? Dante Jackson is horrible technique, probably. Even though he's fast, he sucks at playing corner. Bingo. So, like, ultimately, here, like, this guy just has such a dynamic talent to absolutely break games, especially if he's going in the round 10 to 12 area and you can get him, especially in a best ball. Obviously, I still like him in season long, but in best balls especially, he's got the ceiling of like a 25, 30-point week to ultimately win you a best ball matchup. So I, I, I fully like that value. Again, if he's there, especially in like – even if you have to reach, especially in like the ninth, early ninth round to get him in a best ball, like I would do that. I would do that easily. So ultimately here, I fully agree with the designation of Henry Ruggs. I know he's your boy. I liked him a, a lot pre-draft, not as much as you, but I think he's my wide receiver three. So uh, definitely like that. And in general, I'm going to get into the next guy, Darren Waller. That, that Raiders uh, receiving game is literally wide open apart from those two guys, in my opinion, if you think about I mean, that. I think, it's, I think it's wide open apart from just Waller, to be honest. Like I, like I love rugs. And there is a chance that Tyrell Williams being the veteran that he is or Hunter Renfro being the fact that he kind of showed something last year out target rugs to start the season but there is no question in my mind who the number one target is in the offense and it's Darren Waller bingo and the fact of the matter is he's kind of getting isolated on like his own tier right now he's a tight end five but like he's not at like the ADP of like Andrews and Ertz because they're both going in like the the mid fourth round or like late third area but he's not in the ADP of like the Ingrams and Higbees which are the next few guys at six and seven he's kind of just like chilling in his own but in my opinion, he should be going with the, with the Andrews, with the Ertz. Simply put, because people just want to discredit what he did last year and say, oh, they added all these weapons, yada, yada, yada. Like, how is he going to adjust? Guys, team's number one targets don't lose sleep over additional players being brought. Because realistically, that's not going to affect them. That's going to affect the other uh, tertiary pieces on the offense. Because realistically, 
This is a tight end who exploded onto the scene last year. Exploded. I mean, I, I can read off the numbers, 90 for 1,145 and three touchdowns. He was a league winner if you selected him in your double-digit round. And he only had three touchdowns, which, based on his yardage, should regress positively. Easily. P- again, people all, all over Twitter like, oh, what about the splits when uh, Hunter Renfro exploded over the last eight weeks and uh, Waller was, like, uh, completely redundant, yada, yada. How? Like – People are going to say, okay, he, he fell from 16.33 uh, PPR points per game to 12.09. If you actually look at the numbers, though, in that stretch, he was still on pace for 79 receptions, 105 targets, and 1,155 yards. The main difference was that he averaged 0.43 touchdowns per game in the first stretch uh, where Renfro didn't snap. The first seven games, he had 0.43 touchdowns per game, which was three touchdowns. And in the last nine, he didn't have a single touchdown. So ultimately here, if you were able to take that last nine game stretch where people say, oh, Renfro broke out and supplemented that 0.43 pace, he would have averaged 14.67 PPR points per game, which would have still been the tight end four. So, I mean, people want to point to this lack of uh, volume that he got with, uh, with Renfro ultimately snapping when realistically the only difference between his first seven games and his last nine was that touchdown pace. Tight end four, anybody's going to take that, especially if you're getting him in the mid-fifth round where he's currently going, like, easy. So ultimately here, we know uh, a big theme in fantasy is we want to follow the money because that kind of leads to, like, who's going to get the volume in the offense. He signed his extension last year. Four years, $29 million. You think Oakland's going to vary from their dynamic talent at the tight end position who ranked fourth in completed air yards, second in yards after the catch, second in yards per target, and first in contested catch rate last year because fucking Hunter Renfro had a good nine games to end the season? Like, give me a break. He is the number one weapon in this offense, and it shouldn't even be uh, regarded as different to anybody. People, oh, he's a bust. Like, give me a fucking break. I don't know. What are your thoughts on Waller? Yeah, and this scheme, he's in a great scheme for tight ends. I've, all, I've often talked about how good the Falcon scheme is for tight ends, but the Raiders scheme is also very good for tight ends. We saw what Jared Cook did in 2018 when he's, I mean, like Jared Cook's like 33 years old or whatever, and he had the best season of his career in Oakland in 2018 in uh, John Gruden's scheme. So I definitely think you combine, like it's just all the factors. He checks all the boxes. He got a big contract. He has like uh, continuity. It's like, it's the same quarterback, same coaching staff, same offense. So the COVID situation shouldn't affect it. Uh, the weapons that they added don't necessarily take away from what he does. It actually might accentuate his strengths as a player because guys like Ruggs and Tyrell Williams coming back can stretch the field more for him. So I'm Waller's really the only mid round tight end I'm in on just because I don't see a difference between him and Andrews and him and Ertz. But there is a difference in their ADP, which is yeah. where the discount kind of lies. I think they should kind of be going in rapid succession. They should all be going as the next three tight ends after the top two guys. Yeah, um, I, just, oh, I, was okay. mention, I, I was gonna mention. I fully agree. Like the, he's currently going basically a round and a half after those guys, so a full tier below. It just mm-hmm. doesn't make sense to me because he's basically. Uh, so right now his current ADP is sixty-five according to the best ball drafts. The next tight end off the board is Evan Ingram at seventy-nine which is a le- less of a difference, 14 spots, than between Waller and Ertz, who's going at 49. I would yeah, I much actually have Waller ahead of Ertz. And, I, and it's yeah, not that same. I don't like Ertz for fantasy this year. I just like, I think Waller is in a better situation because there is more competition for targets in Philadelphia. But like, it's, they're pretty much in the same, I, I look at them basically the same way because they are the number one targets in both of their offenses. I just think 
um, the scheme is better for, uh, for Waller and stuff. Um, speaking of tight ends and basically the, the big kahuna of the tight ends. Uh, so potential league winner, Travis Kelsey. And I know what you're thinking. How could the tight end one in ADP return value if he's being drafted at his ceiling because he's being drafted as a tight end one? Well, as I mentioned in the ADP battles uh, two weeks ago, Kelsey is about as safe a fantasy pick as you're ever going to see. Four straight years as the tight end one. Probably the best situation a fantasy tight end can be in because his offense that he is in has the best play caller in the league. He has the best quarterback in the league and he's the number one target in the offense. So we've mentioned this a couple times, but um, it bears repeating. The first couple rounds of your drafts are not necessarily about hitting big. Sometimes it just means don't miss on your picks. And again, the, the cliche is you can't win your draft early in the rounds, but you can lose it. Well, you can kind of do both because if you hit on your, like your first three round picks, chances are you're going to be a playoff team just because you're going to supplement, uh, supplement the rest of your roster with waiver wire ads and trades and all that stuff. But Travis Kelsey has basically not busted in fantasy the last four years because of where he's being drafted. And uh, he was one of four players last year who uh, was on 15% or more of fantasy championship rosters uh, based on players who were drafted in the first two rounds. So again, that's pretty hard to do to be on championship rosters when you have that early of an ADP. You have to really hit big for that to happen because people like invested heavily in you. So the other three guys were CMC, Derrick Henry, and Michael Thomas. Duh, like all these guys were really good last year, including Travis Kelsey. And not to mention, he has positive touchdown regression coming as well. Mahomes was hurt for a couple games. Mahomes faced his own positive or uh, negative touchdown regression. Like Travis Kelsey should be a pretty safe projection for eight plus touchdowns, just given the situation he's in. And uh, his floor is a top three tight end. Like he, there's no way he finishes lower than a top three tight end if he stays healthy, in my opinion. And his ceiling, as I mentioned, is outrageous because of the touchdown upside that the offense he plays in and the quarterback he plays with present. He could have like an outlier, like 14, 15 touchdown season. Like it is possible for Travis Kelsey to have something like that happen. I fully agree. I mean, you, you mentioned that ceiling. Like, is it really unfathomable, as you mentioned, to see him put up like 1350, 1400 yards and 13 touchdowns? I don't think it is. I don't think it's unfathomable whatsoever. No, it's not. I mean, he put, he put up what, 1250 and three last year without Mahomes playing. You mentioned, you referenced that negative uh, uh, touchdown regression he faced last year. That's only going to go up because realistically here, those past two years before, I believe uh, we, we talked about 10, this I think, the 10 and eight or something like that. Yeah. Even in terms of uh, touchdown percentage, like uh, so how many of his uh, targets went for touchdowns? I believe the percentage dropped from 6.7% to 3.5%. I mentioned in the, the last ADP battles we did uh, mentioning him and Kittle. So ultimately here, like we have to assume that he's just going to go back to that pace, especially with uh, Patrick Mahomes playing a full 16 as we anticipate. So I love, I love Travis Kelsey. I mean, I've seen drafts where sometimes he'll fall at the early third round. Like he'll, he'll fall to like the 301 somehow. And if you have the 301 and you, you locked up McCaffrey, you probably locked up another running back or a top receiver there, and you could lock up Kelsey, like you're guaranteed at the minimum two players who are going to finish number one at their positions, if you think about that. Yeah. So ultimately here, I, I am more than fine in making Kelsey my second drafted player, which is probably what you're going to have to do. If, you're, if you luck out and he's available at that early third, that's a yeah, smash. If you somehow get McCaffrey and, and Travis Kelsey on your team, that's like ridiculous because the chances are that you got him at the turn of the second and third round, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, one thing I wanted to mention about his ADP is that he's currently going off the board as like a mid to late second round pick in best ball drafts and in, in non-expert league drafts. But if you look at expert league ADP, he's like a back of the first round pick. And that should tell you something. The, the experts have recognized like the value he carries as the number one tight end. 
and the fact that you, you pretty much know he's not going to bust, essentially. So the expert, the league ADP difference between uh, public leagues and expert leagues should tell you something that the people who like do their research and, and look into this kind of stuff are higher on Travis Kelsey. Not to mention, we didn't even mention it at all. If you, if you guys are at all playing in any type of tight end premium format, like this, I, I don't yeah, care. He's definitely what, a, first, he's definitely I, a top 12, top 10 pick in, in I, a tight end premium. This, this may sound bold, but if it's a tight end premium, I'm taking him over any receiver. I'm, yeah, Michael yeah, Thomas, Devontae Adams. I would too, yeah. He's basically going to produce that type of numbers, except you're getting points added at the tight end position. It's really a no-brainer. So uh, mm. mentioning league winners, I mean, you guys, if you guys have followed the channel, you guys know who's coming. I mean, uh, it's just funny to joke about it, but, I mean, Austin Eckler is still at an RB13 ADP. RB13, not, not even like one, like uh, the 201. So like the 13th you know, dynasty ADP is actually lower than his redraft ADP, which makes absolutely no sense. Yeah, he locks up a contract now. Locks now up a contract and he's a young running back and his dynasty ADP is lower somehow. Oh, it, it, it makes no sense to me. So just for reference again, Corey, he, I believe he's your what, RB6, RB7 as well? RB6. Yeah, he's, he's my RB7 too. Uh, like, so we're both like extremely, like, we view him basically as a top eight overall selection, pretty much. Yep. He's currently being taken at the 24th overall pick, according to Fantasy Pros ADP. That, it's a, it makes no sense to me. Like, in general, maybe if his ADP rose a bit, what, is it going to take, take one yoked picture of him for people to actually realize he's big enough to carry a workload? Get the fuck out of here. This guy was RB2 last year without Melvin Gordon. RB10 with. So where are people getting RB13 just boggles my mind. So again, they want, they're raising the ADP of guys like Kenyon Drake and Miles Sanders. And while I like those guys, they are so risky. Like for sure. I mean, I, again, uh, Sanders, especially I really like, but no fucking chance in hell. I'm taking him over Austin Eckler. I mean, if you're looking at it from just a pure volume standpoint, because people want to bring up volume. Oh, maybe he's not going to get the volume. Yada, yada, yada. 204 vacated, t- uh, uh, total uh, touches last year from Melvin Gordon in the 12 games he played. Do we really think the incumbent Justin Jackson or a mighty fourth round rookie and Josh Kelly is going to take out all those 204 touches? Bitch, please. Like it's fucking Austin Eckler's role. So people making these false narratives just piss me off. So again, people want to say, oh, but Phillip Rivers is the dump off king. Tyrod Taylor won't do that nearly as much. 35% of Austin Eckler's snaps last year were in the slot, which was second behind Tariq Cohen. 28.7% target share while in the slot, first among running backs. And not to mention... It actually you, wasn't close to his target not, share while in the slot. Not close. And not to mention, you tweeted this out recently. In 2016, when Tyrod Taylor was the starting quarterback for the Bills, they threw to their running backs 20% of the time in 2016, which ranked 11th, 27% of pass plays in 2017, which ranked 5th. So this false narrative that Tyrod doesn't dump it to his running backs, it's just a fucking... It's a, it's a lie that people want to cling on to because they don't want to believe in Austin Eckler because he doesn't fit the natural narrative of a bell cow type back. In, and in you, that tweet too, Philip, you got to think about it. Philip Rivers had both Austin Eckler and um, Melvin Gordon in 2017. Bingo. Uh, well, Tyrod Taylor just had Shady McCoy. So they had two pass catching running backs in Los Angeles and still had a lower percentage than uh, the Bills did. 
And uh, so you guys have heard the whole argument on why Austin Eckler is a league winner. And if you guys need any more proof, you guys just want to hear it from Eckler himself. I'll put the tweet or uh, the reply on the screen. It's actually a reply that he had to the fantasy football counselor, a notorious figure in our community, if you guys uh, didn't already know. But I'll just read it off for you guys. So Austin Eckler himself said, I see what you're saying. However, I feel that your stance is very close-minded, which is exactly true. Fantasy is about efficiency. And I, may, I think he meant to say consistency. But just because I will not get the ball handed off to me 260 times doesn't mean I can't make a significant impact. You forget, line up all over the field, 30%, as I mentioned, 35% were not in the backfield. So, I mean, you guys can read the rest of it. I'm not going to read the whole thing because, I, I mean, you guys can see it. But, man, like, you heard it from him himself. Like, guys, how is he going off outside the top 12 running backs? It makes no sense. I rest my case. Yeah, I, I, I definitely totally agree. And I tweeted this out a long time ago. I'm trying to find it as well. Um, and it was about how a touch to Austin Eckler is just worth way more than it is to like guys like Todd Gurley and David Montgomery and, and guys that we perceive to get more value. Basically, uh, 6.88 yards per touch is Austin Eckler's career average, and he had 6.9 in 2019. Therefore, a touch to Austin Eckler is worth more by percentage than these running backs. Gurley had 4.2 yards per touch last year. So an Austin Eckler touch is worth 64% more than a Todd Gurley touch. Le'Veon Bell, 72% more. David Montgomery, 72% more. Joe Mixon, 50% more. So yes, Austin Eckler is going to get less volume than these guys. I am not denying that. But those touches are worth way more to Austin Eckler than they're worth to those other guys. I mean, you literally just mentioned it. 6.9 yards per touch last year. So basically without factoring in reception totals, like PPR formats, you're basically getting almost 0.7 of a point every time he touches the ball. (laughs) Keep that in mind, guys. Even if he gets only, even if you want to say, oh, he's only going to get 15 to 17 touches per game. Those touches are worth way more. That's a baseline of basically 12, 13 points. It's not hard. It's math. Austin Eckler had zero rushing touchdowns once Melvin Gordon came back from it, uh, from his holdout last year. So if he any regression that people assume is going to happen in the passing game are probably going to be offset by the fact that he has way more rushing touchdowns than three this year. And it, it's funny that people don't know what regression means because, like, oh, his yards per touch is going to it's going to negative regression, negative regression. Like his career average is what you said six point six zero two less than oh, what he six point eight eight. Like yeah. people, oh, he's going to go to five point eight because because uh, just that's, yeah, like that's it. Adrian Peterson's career average or some like something that makes no sense. Anyway, let's get off Austin Eckler. Everyone knows we love him. We pick him in every single mock draft that we do. So uh, bounce back player. Tyree Kill is my bounce back player. And I know every, maybe you're like, did Tyree Kill have a bad year last year? He kind of did by Tyree Kill's standards. So injuries to Tyreek, he missed, uh, I believe it was four games total, as well as Mahomes led to an up and down kind of fluky season from Tyreek. And he was basically a borderline first round pick in fantasy drafts last year. So definitely stung you as it did me in my big money league because I picked him in the first round. Um, he was still his 2018 top three receiver form when he was on the field. But the problem is he, uh, he played in 12 games, but in the 10 games, he appeared in more than 50% of the snaps because he played less than 20% in week one when he first got injured. And I believe in like week nine or something when he tried to come back and got injured again. Um, he left early in those games. So he had 10 games total. He averaged 8.5 targets per game in those 10 games, 136 target pace, 84.4 yards per game, which is a 1,350 tar- uh, yard pace. And then uh, 0.7 touchdowns, which is 11.2 touchdown pace. So 
he like that. Those are elite numbers. Like those are elite receiver numbers. And again, this was despite Mahomes being banged up himself. He wasn't even healthy. And as we mentioned with Travis Kelsey, he faced some negative touchdown regression himself. So Hill to me remains the most feared receiver in the league in, in fantasy, in the NFL, like defensive coordinators scared shitless of this dude. And he's connected to the right arm of the NFL's best quarterback and the half a billion dollar man. If they are on the field together, he is a lock for top five receiver. Like there is no way he's not a top five receiver if him and Mahomes are both on the field. And he also, in my opinion, is a lock for double-digit touchdowns if him and Mahomes are both on the field. And if I mentioned this before, if you play in any kind of league like my league is, where you get bonuses for uh, huge plays, like 40-plus-yard touchdowns, he also uh, gives you that uptick in that kind of production because guys like Michael Thomas and Devontae Adams don't necessarily get those kind of plays. I mean, yeah, you, you mentioned in terms of a uh, touchdown basis especially. Realistically, if I were to bet, like, my – Three favorite receivers, or not my three favorite receivers, but my three favorites to lead the league in uh, touchdowns next year in terms of receiving touchdowns, Devontae Adams, Tyree Kill, Kenny Galladay. It's going to be one of those three. Those are my three top bets. Realistically, yeah. who, who I'd else? Probably th- I'd probably throw a, a tight end in there. I'd probably throw either Andrews or Ke- uh, Kelsey in there too. That's, that's fair. Okay, top four. It's one of those four. But realistically, that's such a good floor to have. I mean, Tyreek Hill, you mentioned, is attached to the best quarterback, maybe, potentially, maybe premature, maybe in NFL history. Like, he yeah. is that talented. We saw 50 touchdowns from the guy in his second year in the league. First year starting all 16. Last year, off year, only had 26 touchdowns. His number one receiver is back. He still has Travis Kelsey. Patrick Mahomes is healthy. That team is going to produce fireworks once again. I mean, realistically, if Patrick Mahomes is playing a full 16 games, are we really expecting less than 35, 40 touchdowns from the guy? Like, realistically? Yeah. I don't and see it. An underrated part of fantasy football, and no one ever talks about this, is I love watching the players, my players play. And it is so fun owning Tyree Kill. Like, I shit you. Like, Tyree Kill is so fun to own because you know you're never out of the game. You can go into Sunday night football expecting that you're down like 28 points or whatever, and you have only Tyreek left to play, and you can win the game still because it's happened to me from the inverse uh, perspective. So Tyree kill owning him in fantasy. We're, we're not the typical dudes on Twitter that don't even watch football. Like we want to watch our players play fantasy as well. And um, having Tyree kill or any part of the chiefs offense or any part of the Ravens offense, like any part of these elite offenses is just fun to have on your fantasy team too. So that's like an underrated part of fantasy football that I, I don't think anyone ever mentioned. Exactly. And like Tyreek Hill is one of the most exciting players to watch in the entire NFL. Because realistically, when he's on, when Mahomes is on, could we really like not expect a 200 yard three touchdown game? Like that's in the realm of possibility, which is just he might get a punt return touchdown or two a year too, which is underrated if you can also get points for that because he does return punts in games or in situations where they need big plays or a spark or whatever. So exactly, maybe not so much anymore with McCall Hardman there, but I still think they would use Tyree Kill if it was like a big time like punt return. So on this episode, we kind of mentioned we have Tyree Kill and Tyree Kill Light. So. Keep that in mind. And tra- so we have, yeah, we, we, we apparently have we just love the lights. Chiefs because we have like their entire offense on this episode. <laughs> Rightfully so, they're an elite offense. So. <laughs> we, we have two I'll get into that. We have two Tyreek Hill lights, actually, in Henry Ruggs and McCall yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, we love speed, but going yeah. uh, to my bounce back, maybe this is kind of a cop-out pick because he still played 12 games last year. But, I mean, Melvin Gordon did hold out, so I kind of included it as a bounce back because we expect him to not hold out this year. Obviously, he got paid. 
and uh, ultimately play the full 16 when he's healthy. So uh, as I mentioned, he did get paid two years, $8 million per year average contract. He signed with the Broncos after leaving the Chargers. Actually picked both Chargers teammates from last year as my running backs. But going into it, I mean, we're talking about his skill set. In his five-year career, he's only played uh, 20 uh, – what's it called? He's proven that he's a, a goal line back over his five-year career. Sorry. In the last 23 games, he has 15 total touchdowns from inside the 20. Keep that in mind. Yes, Philip uh, Philip Lindsay has proven to be an efficient goal line back as well. But I mean, I expect fully Gordon to tack into that and basically be, uh, make Roy Freeman obsolete from inside the 20 yard line. So I mean, if you're talking about it, Pat Shermer, we was hired this offseason. Comes from the Giants. Comes from the Vikings. I mean, he's been around the league over his career. He, his featured back has had a 65% opportunity share and Melvin Gordon profiles to be the most similar to a featured back given the contract, given his skill set, and mentioning his, he did this with guys like Peyton Hillis too. And, and Dalvin cook, who we know is good now, but he was a rookie at the time. Like he, he is willing to throw a guy into the fire. Like, yes, he had Saquon. So like, no shit, he's going to be 65% opportunity share. But like, even guys like Dalvin Cook, they like you didn't know for sure that Dalvin Cook was going to be an elite opportunity share guy. And Peyton Hillis, where the fuck is that guy? For sure. And like, what bothers me is like, yes, people want to just anoint Philip Lindsay. Oh, he's a receiving back. He's slight of frame. He's uh, just built for that role. He had seven drops on forty nine targets, guys. Melvin Gordon is a better receiving back than Philip Lindsay basically will ever be. He is a he was one- he, fun stat. He was actually worse. He had a worse PFF receiving grade than Kalen Balaj last year. And if you guys saw that GIF on Twitter of Kalen Balaj basically ducking from a pass, I mean, yeah, know that that's bad. <laughs> worse PFF grade than Kalen Balaj as a receiver. And uh, what well, people so did Todd Gurley also, just for the record. Yeah, uh, at Mikey. <laughs> no, okay. yeah. uh, and when we're talking about last year, like, oh, okay, according to uh, Melvin Gordon Sanders, yes, he had a bad year last year. That's what people are going to say. He was still able to conjure up, as I mentioned with the Eckler take, 204 touches in 12 games, 17 touches per game, and he still produced 15.1 PPR points per game, which was the RB14 on the year. So ultimately here, you're getting a guaranteed locked and loaded top 15 back, in my opinion. A guy who before last year, finish as a top seven running back the previous two years. Uh, it's just a no-brainer to me. I mean, he's going in the third round right now. If he's going around those guys like Le'Veon Bell, Todd Gurley, Chris Carson, there's no chance in hell I'm taking any of those guys over Melvin Gordon. And ultimately here, like he could have been even placed in the value because realistically here, I'm more than fine with him being my RB2, top 15 running back for me. It's a no-brainer. He's a bounce back. Yeah, and I've mentioned this stat a bunch of times. 93% of the time, a running back gets 250-plus carries and six-plus touchdowns. They're top 15 at their position. Melvin Gordon is going to get to, like, probably about 250 carries, but he's also probably going to tack on, like, another, like, 50 to 60 receptions. Like, he is, he's got the, th- the three things you want to look at with a running back. Is he getting the bulk of the carries? Is he getting receiving work? And is he getting goal line work? Like, yes, he's getting the, the lion's share of all of those things. He's basically, like... Everyone like, and me and you included in this, everyone's like, oh, well, if James Conner could stay healthy, he'd be like a feature back, like workhorse. Well, like Melvin Gordon could be too. Like, yeah. and no one's really talking about that. So I love the Melvin Gordon call. I've been on him all off season. If, if you start your, uh, your draft with him as like a flex spot, like you go running back, yeah. running back, running back, like he's going to be crazy return value. And I expect him to finish top 12 as, as long as he can stay healthy. And the Broncos offense can take the step that we're projecting it to take. Yeah. Like realistically in drafts right now, 
uh, we mentioned, you could start your draft like an Eckler, Jacobs, and Melvin Gordon. Like, that's just insane to me to think about because, like, that, that's in the realm of possibility. You have a late first-round pick. You stack up, like, an Eckler and a Jacobs, and then you get Melvin Gordon in the late third. To me, that's a no-brainer. Like, if, it, if that's the case, you're going to be winning most of your drafts because, like, yep. that, our, that three RB core is basically impenetrable. So uh, those are my thoughts. Again, uh, we kind of broke down uh, the AFC West today. This is going to be our series. The next two we're going to be having on Hot Commodities are actually going to be hosts to our favorite teams, the NFC East and the, and the NFC South, obviously residing both the Cowboys and the Buccaneers. But uh, anything you want to add before we head out of here, Corey? Uh, no, uh, make sure you guys smash the like button. Um, co- leave comments below. It doesn't even have to be related to this video. If you have, if you have your draft coming up and you want some advice, just ask us about that. Like, Whatever you guys can do to engage with us helps us more than you know. Comments, all that stuff contributes to the YouTube algorithm. And if you're new to the channel, make sure you hit the subscribe button because we post videos basically every day. And we're coming at fantasy from a little bit of different angles. We're not giving you the typical videos that everyone else is doing. We're not doing 16 different mock drafts every single week. We're trying to give you more kind of in-depth content that you can um, actually listen to and enjoy listening to. So, um, one last thing I want to mention too is join the discord and purchase the draft guide. It's super cheap. Anything uh, before we get out of here, Danny? Uh, I was just going to say, yeah, if you guys enjoy this channel, you guys will know we provide the big facts, not the false narratives, but I hope yeah. you guys enjoyed this no video. Fugazis out here. <laughs> no Fugazis, but uh, stay tuned for this Thursday series. Obviously hot commodities. We're back at you. We'll see you next Thursday. Peace out.